All right, we're going to go ahead and jump into our, our message and our series. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs. We've been kind of studying it and looking at it deeply, and I've really enjoyed sharing this with you. Um, we got a couple more weeks before we're finished, and so I'm excited about these last several weeks that God's kind of laid on my heart to share with you. We've kind of entitled the message and the series, A Word from the Wise. We've been talking about this idea of hokma. We've been understanding this idea of, that Proverbs really gives us the skill for living. Solomon, who wrote basically 29, or is accredited maybe is a better way to say it, for about 29 of the 31 chapters, really wants to help us see some practical ideas about what it is to live a life of wisdom, to live a life that God has for you and me. And so over the last several weeks, we've been kind of focusing in, and, and my plan is, we'll see if it changes, but my plan is to kind of continue kind of focusing in on the wise. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the cast of characters. We talked about certain individuals. And so now we really are going to focus in on what a wise person is, what a wise person understands, so that we can really take those things and apply them to our lives. I think that looking at my own life, I know that sometimes, and again, if you didn't hear the message on the cast of characters, I invite you to go online and do that. But uh, we talked about a fool. We talked about a mocker. We talked about the simple. And, and quite honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, more than likely, at least I am, I sometimes are a lot of those things. I'm sometimes foolish and sometimes I'm very simple-minded and sometimes, unfortunately, I can even be a mocker and I don't know if you can relate to those things, but I want to get less of those characters and I want to become more of the wise person, maybe the wise guy that God's called me to be. And so as we look at these things together, we're kind of beginning this process now of focusing in on really what it is to be a, a person that has a life of hokma, has an idea of understanding what it is to be a wise individual that God has really called us to be. Before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we do love you and we do thank you for this time. God, we pray that God, as I share these words that you've laid on my heart, Father, that you would help me to communicate them in the way that you desire that will change lives. Because my words won't do that, but your words will. Your words bring life. And so God, I pray that my words would cease and that yours would begin. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to talk about something that is one of those real practical things that we actually see throughout not only Proverbs, but out over Scripture. But it's also one of the hardest things that we have to do. But it does show a lot of wisdom when we can basically get better in this area. And it's simply this. The wise person understands the power of words. The wise person understands the power of words of words. As I was studying this and looking at this, and this is slightly off topic, and don't worry, Tammy, it's not in the notes. But I was thinking about this as I was putting this together this week and thinking about, you know, some of the scriptures that we're going to use, I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to have heard them before. They're no less powerful, they're no less important, but you may have heard them before. But I began to kind of think about this concept, and I was actually sitting in my office on Thursday, and, and, and I had three Bibles open, and I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure things out, three translations, not the same, I'm not, I'm not that weird. But I mean, I was looking at different things and trying to hear all these things, and, and I was thinking about the power of words, and how, how the word that's spoken has so much authority and power, especially depending on who is speaking that word. If it's me speaking that word, and I tell you, hey, you shouldn't speed there's not a lot of authority in that but if there's a police officer with a badge and a lights on the, the, the car or the motorcycle and he says you better not speed there's a little more authority behind that and so I begin to think about authority and words and the power of words and I went back to creation from the very beginning 
went back to Genesis 1 and, and saw this creation story and God is speaking here and things are being becoming a, a, a part of, of creation. I mean, God's not, the, the scripture doesn't say that God is now taking his hands and he's now making a tree and he's forming it. No, he's speaking these things. He's saying, let there be light. And then the scripture says there was light. So there's power in these words. But as I was looking at this, I kept reading, which is usually a good idea when you're looking at scripture. And I began to continue on and I got to basically the second part of, of basically Genesis 2. Now you don't need to turn there, but I'm, I just kind of want to show you this because I think it really helps us understand. So in Genesis 2, we see basically God has created everything and now we're getting this more in-depth story of the creation of, of us, of, of man and woman. And so basically it says that, that God comes and he, he forms man out of the dirt of the earth basically or the dust of the earth. And he begins to form and he begins to breathe life into this individual, into Adam, basically. And, and he says, we're going to create this person in our image, speaking of God Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, all there in creation, all speaking, all, all creating together. And so he speaks and begins to create this person and, and begins to do all these things and, and create man. And what's interesting is in that context, he basically soon thereafter creates woman. He says, man, it's not good that man should be alone. And basically, we, we get the creation of woman at that point, and Eve as a, as a helpmate for Adam. But there's something there that sometimes we miss that I think really fits in with what we're talking about this morning, and I shouldn't have let go of my Bible. And it's in Genesis 2. So this is what it says. I'm going to give you a little context and then also what Scripture says. Genesis 2, starting with verse number 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Now listen to what it says. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man. This is where we're going to focus. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. In other translations of those verses, what it basically says is this. I'm going to paraphrase for you. is basically as the animals were brought to Adam, Adam would name them, and whatever he named them, that was their name. It's a weird way of putting it, but that's kind of what you see in some of the other translations. And so what is happening here is God has infused the man with his spirit, with his likeness, and all these things. And the first act that we see the man doing is speaking things over other things. He begins to speak out names. He says, that's a zebra. That's an elephant. That's a dog. That's a you know, a sparrow, whatever. And all we see here is God saying, whatever he speaks, therefore it is basically their name. Did you realize that? One of the first jobs that human beings ever had was speaking names over other things. And you know what's interesting? We haven't stopped. We haven't stopped speaking names. We speak sometimes positive, life-giving names, and other times we speak death names. But it's interesting, as we are created in the Spirit of God, 
that as he spoke and creation came with the authority and the power, one of the first things we did was speak and names came upon other things and other people. Look what it says in James 3. James 3, 7 through 9. It says, People can tame all kinds of animals. Here we go again. Birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes, verse number 10, it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So let me stop here for just a second and kind of backtrack just a hair, okay? If you didn't know this, James is really what a lot of people consider the Proverbs of the New Testament, okay? And James here is basically communicating about the tongue. He's talking about how, how, how basically how is it that this tongue it, it can speak such good things but also can speak such horrible things. And he names specifically uh, made about the people that are made in the image of God, which is all of us. So look what it says. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. When James says brothers and sisters, what you need to understand is this. He's not talking to just Joe Schmo on the corner. He's talking to you and to me as believers. He's saying basically, listen, you need to understand something. When you speak, there's power. When you speak, there's either going to be live words of blessing or there's going to be lives of cursing. And he takes it one step further. He says, listen, as followers of Jesus, as understanding who he is, there shouldn't be curses coming out of the same mouth that blessing comes out of. He's almost saying these are, these are two things that are diametrically opposed. They cannot and should not happen. And which we see in James. Now let's continue. Look at Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, 21. It says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. So in James, we see this concept of blessing and cursing. In Proverbs, we see this concept of death and life. And they're very, very similar in their understanding. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to, as we look at these things, I want to kind of break these things down. I want us to be able to identify the words that we're saying. I want to be able to identify how the Spirit is using us to say either blessings or unfortunately at times curses and death over people. The first thing I want to look at is these life-giving words life-giving words. Scripture shows us different aspects of them. I want to give you these so you understand that this is basically the fruit of these words. First thing I want to look at, life-giving words brings peace to our lives. It brings peace to our lives. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle word. Listen, life-giving words bring peace, not war. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of, unfortunately, the kind of person that, like, arguing with me is not a problem for me. Okay? If you want to come in and have a debate, I, sit on down. Let's go. I like that, unfortunately, at, at times. And unfortunately, I have been the opposite of this verse many, many times. I'm going, no, I don't want to turn away wrath. I want your wrath because I want to argue with you. But that's not what life-giving words do. 
Listen, hear me here. I feel like in the church as a whole for like probably the last 25 years, maybe even longer, we have been as the church too concerned about winning the argument instead of bring, being people that bring forth peace. Now, I am not saying that bringing forth peace is to agree with everything that people say. That is not peace. Peace only comes from the Prince of Peace. It doesn't come from our words as much as it comes from having a relationship with Him and allowing our words to become forth from the fruit that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Peace. But just listen here. If you're so interested in winning the argument, a lot of times, unfortunately, that goes kind of goes, goes kind of fights with, with the peace that God wants us to bring. Okay? In that, sometimes we need to listen to what Proverbs is telling us. And instead of being someone who wants to kind of bring that harsh word, that, 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 that word that is, that is stinging, that word that basically says, you know what, I'm right and you're wrong. Instead, we need to be people that want to bring that gentle answer. You ever done that in your life? You ever have somebody come in and, man, maybe they're not, maybe, maybe this is a better example. They're not necessarily mad at you, but they're mad at somebody else. I mean, they come in like a hurricane. I mean, they're throwing stuff. They're mad and all this stuff. And you respond not in like, especially if it happened to you as well, but your response is gentle. Your response is one of love. Your, your, yours is one of mercy and grace. You know what typically happens? The hurricane dies down quite a bit. Life-giving words bring peace into our lives. Listen, as parents, as grandparents, okay, I understand. I, I'm not a grandparent, but I am a parent. And I know sometimes it's easy to get frustrated. I know I fail in this a lot. Please understand this. And, and, and I respond sometimes with not a kind word to my son, but a harsh word. And you know what I see when I bring that, that harshness to him? He begins to kind of melt back a bit. Why? Because instead of bringing a gentle word, I've brought a harsh word. And that harsh word doesn't bring a sense of peace and comfort in his life. It brings a conflict in his life. And so as we share these things, again, I am not saying that we're, we're not supposed to discipline our children. I am saying that how we do it matters. And we can do it in a way that brings peace to their life and discipline in their life at the same time if we'll allow those life-giving words to come forth. Number two, life-giving words really refresh people. They really refresh people. Look at this. It says, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal, uh, conceal violent intentions. And look at Proverbs 18.4. Wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. Now listen, I know over the last couple days we've had a little bit of a break. Unfortunately, it seems like this week's going to be hot again. But I don't know about you, but when it was really hot here, and we're talking like 99, 98, 100 degrees, whatever, you know, like... like I, I, listen, I'm not a swimmer. I don't like water all that much, okay? Like some people are like, I love the pool. I love the ocean. I'm like, no, I, you know. But I'll tell you one thing. When it was hot, guess what I wanted to do? I want to get in that water. I want to get in that cool, refreshing water. You know, when we bring life-giving words, it's like that to people. 
Like when we bring a word to them that is, that is life-giving, that is encouraging, that is loving, it's literally like taking a bucket of cold water on a warm day and going whoosh over on top of them. It's massive. It's huge. It feels so refreshing. Listen, I'll use myself as an example. There's times when you, some of you individuals in this room and others online have come to me and said, man, you know, you shared this and it was really, really important to me and it, it mattered to me and, and God really used you in that moment. You know what you're doing in that moment, whether you understand it or not? You're literally taking a bucket of cold water and dumping it over my head. And it's so refreshing in my spirit. Listen, people need you to be that type of person in their lives. People have, God has called you. Listen, hear me here. God has called you to be a person of wisdom that is kind of like a bucket boy. You know what I mean? You know, a bucket boy. I got the two buckets and you're walking around with the water going, okay, who's thirsty? Who needs a little splash? And they're looking around in the spirit and they're going, okay, hey, there's, oh, somebody needs a little, hey, I got you. Whoosh! That's what God's called us all to do. All to be wise, all to refresh people. Here, listen to this. This is important. Your words can be a fountain to people or a drain. They can be a fountain or a drain. Which one are you most like? Are you a fountain or are you a drain? I remember as a kid, you know, we'd be out playing, out in the heat and having a good old time. You know, and I don't know if kids do this anymore. I kind of doubt it. I don't know. But, you know, you get thirsty. And, and for some reason, because we were kids and not all that, you know, bright, you know, the, the, the natural thought was go into the house, okay, and get some water. But that was like an extra five steps because the hose was right there, okay? You ever done this? Okay. Now, I was a bad big brother, okay, and sometimes a bad friend. And so what I would do is I would wait until basically, okay, they're ready to go get something to drink, okay? I'll turn the hose on for you. Aren't I a servant? You know, you can go first. And I would put a kink in the hose. Remember this? Okay? Don't tell. I'm going to do this to my son one day. Don't tell him, okay? No, I'm teasing. I won't. See, I put a kink in the hose and I turn the water on. And you know what would happen when you put a kink in the hose? Just a little bit of water come out. You know, and they, you know, they're dying of thirst. You know, they're trying to get some water. Well, I'd wait till just the right moment. And guess what I'd do? Push. And here's what I found. If you did that in about mid-October, not so good. But about late July in Kansas City, with the humidity being 100, they didn't complain so much. You know why? Because it was refreshing. You know. Listen, so many of us, we have this life that says, ah, oh, I'd like to bring a little bit of water. I'd like to bring a little refreshment. But you know what? We keep kinks in our hoses. You know, God didn't call you to be that type of person when it comes to giving living words of encouragement and life to people. Listen, some of you need to get your kink, kink out of your hose and start letting those things really flow out of you can make a huge difference. Number three, life-giving words provide good instruction. They provide good instruction. Listen, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not upright. Life-giving words, listen, are, lives of are words of instruction. They're words of discipline. They're words that we can share to help people so that they can maybe not make some of the same mistakes that we made, or maybe so that they can, can walk a path of wisdom that maybe we have walked in the past. Listen, those are life-giving words. 
Those are words that we can use. Listen, if God has spoken to you about things, you need to not be kind of the light under the basket. You need to begin to share those things with people because they're life-giving. They're helpful. They are in good instruction that, are, that is biblical. Listen, yesterday morning, we had a lot of good instruction. That was life-giving to the people that were here. Because they begin to see how God saw certain things in their life and how God could use them to make an impact in those areas. Listen, that was life-giving. You have that ability. And God wants to use you in that. The last one. Life-giving words bring healing. They bring healing. Look at this with me. Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Did you realize that? Like I know life, death, you know, but I kinda, I'll be honest with you, I hear life and death. I kind of almost hear that concept of it's already dead. But there are so many people in our lives that God wants to use you to bring healing to. And listen, I understand that the healing comes from the Holy Spirit. But God uses you and me sometimes to administer that ointment. You get what I mean? And sometimes you have no idea the, the level of hurt and the level of, of, of things that people have experienced that you can be a part of the healing process if you're just open to sharing words that God has given you, life-giving words, life-giving things, and they can bring healing. But unfortunately, we need to turn that coin over. Not only do we see the tongue that can bring life and bring blessings, but we can also see it bring cursings, curses and death. So we need to talk about some deadly words, some deadly words. Unfortunately, if we're all probably honest with ourselves, maybe I should only speak for myself, my deadly words sometimes are a lot more plentiful than my life-giving words. So let's look at this. We're going to actually be in Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs 26. That's where we're going to be as we kind of look at these deadly words and kind of look at what we can pull out of them. Number one, there'll be seven. Deadly words are deceitful. They're deceitful. Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. I love this verse. I've always loved this verse. Like a maniac. <laughs> Shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Think about that. Solomon here is, and I, I don't know, you've got to picture this with me, okay? Because I can't be the only one that's doing this, okay? Now, you've got to remember Solomon and his time and things like that. You know, there's a lot of stuff around him and a lot of things around that are made of wood, Okay? And so if you want to destroy something, one way to do it quickly was to burn it down. And so I just always have this picture of this guy just running through town, just a maniac, kind of crazy hair all over the place, laughing hysterically, just shooting these arrows into things and watching the entire city burn to the ground. This is the picture Solomon gives us as the guy who basically says, I was just joking. <laughs> Kidding. Why? Oh, Aaron, it's just a joke. Oh, Aaron, it's... What, scripture here is telling us something a little bit different. Now, I don't think Solomon is saying it. We can't, you know, I, I use the word joshing. You've heard that term. But there's something different here that's going on. This, we see this idea of deception. It's not a joke. 
It's purposely trying to deceive, and when caught, now it's a joke. So even in the apology, there's deception. In the statement, there's deception. When we speak words that are deadly words, we're speaking them to deceive someone else. So here's what I mean by that. We can say something like this. We go to our boss. We can go to maybe our spouse or other people and, and say, uh, oh, don't you look nice today? You look horrible. Who dressed you? A circus ringmaster? What did you do? I mean, that's deceptive. Why? Because we're trying to deceive them with words that seem flowery, but are really, there's no heart there behind it. You realize those words can bring death? Those words, now listen, if you really feel that way, you think, look, say it, absolutely. But you, you got to understand where this is coming from. It's coming from a deceitful heart, and therefore the words are there to deceive and cause problems. I almost moved into the next one. So let's move on to the next one. Next, deadly words bring division. They bring division. Proverbs 26, 20. Fire goes out without wood, and the quarrels disappear when gossip stops. When those deadly words come, they bring hurt, they bring division, they bring problems. I mean, listen, can we just be honest? I mean, think about it. How many churches have destroyed themselves because of gossip? How many relationships have been destroyed because of deceitful, gossiping, division-bringing words. What Solomon here is basically saying is, listen, your fire is going to go out if you stop putting wood on it. Division will stop when the gossiping stops. Okay? One of the things that churches love to talk about, us included, is this idea of unity. You want unity? The gossip's got to stop. Simple as that. Because otherwise, all you're doing is saying, I want unity. Yes, it's wonderful. Here's another log for the fire. It'll keep burning. You want the fire to go out? You want unity to become in your family and in your home and in your, your church? Stop putting wood on the fire of gossip. And you'll see that that can happen. Number three, deadly words are destructive. Proverbs 26, 21. A char as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. It just destroys things. You know? You ever had one of those moments where you're like, you're kind of finally like working through some things and then somebody just comes in and says something and it just is like, are you kidding me? It's like somebody just dropped a bomb in that moment. These words can destroy. They can destroy relationships. They can destroy marriages. They can destroy relationships between, uh, you know, kids and parents and friends. They're destructive. They're destructive. Next, deadly words are words of decay. They're words of decay. Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Now, what is Solomon saying here? It's real simple, okay? It's real simple. We're going to make it kind of help you understand what he's trying to communicate here. What he's basically saying is this. As you experience gossip, yeah, I don't know if you've ever watched one of these old shows. One of the shows that um, we've been watching as a family is, is I Love Lucy. We've got a, you know, it's kind of a fun show we like to watch. And one of the episodes is literally about gossiping. 
we like to watch the Andy Griffith show, and guess what? One of the episodes is literally entitled Those Gossiping Men. I mean, it's funny how much we see this, but in that, you kind of almost see gossip as kind of, especially in the Lucy episode, it's kind of like, oh, it's just a necessary thing. It just kind of happens. It's not that big of a deal. And they kind of crave it. They kind of want it. Lucy and Ethel are sitting there going, ooh, do you have the next juicy piece of gossip? And they're all excited about it. And you know what? Gossip kind of works like that, is it kind of comes in and we're kind of, oh, really? So and so did what? Oh, really? Oh, I can't believe she did. No, yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, mm hmm. And we get all excited about it. But here's the thing as it gets down, that idea of an inmost part is so it comes in like kind of this idea of a choice morsel. Oh, it's so delicious. But you know what happens? Okay, I know I want to get too graphic for you, but I think we all understand what happens after we take food in and it goes down into our innermost parts. It decays. It has to be removed from the body. You get it? It's decaying. You don't even realize it because it tastes, quote unquote, so good. But guess what? When it really goes down, what it really produces in your life is kind of disgusting and decaying stuff. So that's the issue here. It seems so good, but it decays from the inside out. Next, deadly words distract our thinking. Look at this, Proverbs 26, 23. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart, just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. Okay? Now, I want you to understand something about the time here. Okay? I want you to understand a little bit about pottery at the time of Solomon and through the ancient world. When a potter would make something, one of the things that they would do is they would basically test it. One way they would do that is after the clay pot had been made and had been fired, so now it's more of a hard object, basically if you went to buy one, what you would do is you would grab it, and if you were a smart shopper, you'd pick up your pot and you'd take it outside and you'd look at it and you'd turn it and you'd look at it through the sun. If the sun wasn't coming through, you didn't see a crack or something like that in it, basically you knew you had a good pot, okay? You had a good looking pot. That was a pot you wanted to buy. If you looked through it and you could see just a little bit, you knew that pot was gonna break. There was, there was a fault in the pot. One thing that people would do at the time is they would take glaze and they would take it and they would put it around the pot. Now when you put glaze on the pot, guess what? You've made a layer that now makes it even more difficult to see through and see the cracks. So you go, oh look, isn't that a beautiful pot? But really, what it could have been, it was just simply there to conceal the flaws and to conceal the fact that when that pot was used, it would eventually break. Those smooth words that are really deadly, they distract us from the things that we really need to see so we really understand what we're dealing with and what's going on in our lives. They distract us. They cover things up. Next, kind of in the same idea. Deadly words disguise. Look at Proverbs 26, 24. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Okay? They disguise themselves. Words like that, they do that. They, we we kind of come in like, oh, look at me. I'm kind of, you know, you heard the phrase, oh, a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing before. That's what deadly words can do. Next, Deadly words, the last one, are dangerous. 
Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Now listen to what this says. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. Listen, here's what's interesting. What Solomon is saying is not only are, dead, are words that are deadly dangerous for the person who is basically kind of, you know, like you know, hearing them and hurting them, but it's also for the person that's speaking them. You see, if you speak deadly words, what Solomon's saying is, listen, that pit you're digging for somebody else, you'll fall in it. That, that big boulder that you're trying to push down on somebody else is going to eventually come back to you. What Solomon's saying here, real simple. What you reap, what you sow, excuse me, you're going to reap. I thought that was wrong. So when you speak these deadly words, guess what? They are going to come back. You are going to reap those things. It's that idea, again, that we see so often in Scripture of sowing and reaping and all these things. But here's the thing. If you know me at all, one of the things that I like to do is, is, is I don't like to put Band-Aids on bullet wounds. You get that? Okay? Like, like I know sometimes it can be painful and not easy, but we got to sometimes dig in and get the bullet out because it's not going to heal if you just cover something up. Okay? So, so in that, with this idea, where do these words really originate? Where do they come from? Well, Scripture is extremely clear, both in the Old Testament and Proverbs and in the New Testament. Look at it with me. Proverbs 26, 25 says this. We've just been here. We've just looked at these, these deadly words. There are seven of them. This is what it says. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. We just went through seven things that a deadly word to bring about. Look at Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. We all know that verse. We've probably all heard it before, haven't we? We've heard it. Oh, Proverbs 4, 23. Above all, guard your heart. Did you know there's a verse 24? Look at the context. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. It's almost like, folks, isn't this crazy to think, that your heart and your mouth are connected. It's almost like Solomon here is communicating, listen, if you're not going to guard your heart, there's going to be some things that are going to flow. If you guard it, there are going to be good things that flow. If you don't, there are going to be bad things. But you know what? Words in the heart seem to be kind of a connection here. Let's listen to what Jesus says, Luke 6.45. He brings up this topic. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And Jesus breaks it down. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Where do these words come from? They don't come from here. You get that? They come from here. They come from deep inside. It's in your notes. It's really simple, and I tried to put it as simply as I could. What the tongue communicates exposes what the heart contains. There is, hear me here, there is no exception to this rule. Do you get what I mean? There is no exception to this. You cannot come and say, listen, I can speak death all day long, but I got a good heart. It doesn't work that way. Okay? Scripturally, what comes out of here is only a reflection of really what's in here. 
if you look at your life and you go, man, I, I am kind of just this, I've, I've been speaking death a lot. You know why? Listen, it's not, hear me here, because this is what we do. It's not you're stressed out. Now, you may be, but that's, that's not really the reason. It's not because the kids didn't do what you wanted or your spouse made you mad or your boss didn't give you the raise or whatever it might be. Although those may be some things that kind of don't, don't help it, you know, kind of grease the, the, the skids a little bit, if you know what I mean when I say that. What it really is boiling down to is what's in here. What is in here. That is really what we find. If you're speaking death, it's real simple. It's probably because you got some death in your heart. If you're speaking life, it's because you got some life in your heart. Now, maybe you're like me, and, and sometimes you speak a little death, and sometimes you speak a little life. You know what? I think that's probably most of us. You see, what's wonderful, what, what the good news really is in some ways, is that even though at times there's some death that we speak, God wants to still come, and He wants to clean that out. He wants to work in that so that you're speaking more life than death. And as you grow in Him and experience Him more, you see that over and over and over and over again. But the problem is, is how do we even get there? What, what do we do? What, how do we experience that? Well, here's the deal. There's one more word that we haven't mentioned yet that is just as important, if not more so, than death words and life-giving words. And it's simply this. You see, there's the redemptive word. The redemptive word. And this is so important for so many of us. In John 1, he, he begins his gospel and it's a beautiful beginning to his gospel. John is one of the disciples that was really, really close with Jesus. We believe that John was one of the last uh, gospels written. It's a lot different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We've talked about it before. And John opens it up with such a beautiful thing. And it was a beautiful beginning. And let's look at this together. John 1, 1 through 5, it says this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. And I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, Word is capitalized. It's not words. It is Word. And remember this morning, we started all the way back in Genesis. Well, John is starting right there as well. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life, look at that, life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So yeah, listen, there, there, there's some... There's some Life-giving words, and those are great. Those are special. We hold on to those, don't we? So I don't know about you, but there may be some life-giving words that were spoken over you that years and years ago, and you've held on to. They've been encouragement to you. And there's also those death words, and sometimes those death words we can hold on to even more. You know, oh, I, I remember when my parents said this, or this teacher, or this pastor, or this, this, this individual, this person I respected did this or said this about me. Or maybe it, was, maybe it wasn't even somebody you really even liked. Maybe it was the, the person at school that you looked up to, or, oh boy, if I could just be like them, or be in that crowd, or whatever it might be. And they, they looked at you, and they said some words of death over your life. 
thankfully, Jesus came. You see, the reason that word is capitalized is because it's not speaking of a word. It's speaking of a man that came and he died for you and for me. And here's the thing you need to understand. Listen, it's in your notes. There is a word that came to set all other words in order. You go, Aaron, I got some death words that have spoken over me. Well, listen here. Listen, there is the word who says some things that are much different than those death words. And here's what's great about life-giving words. Life-giving words are great. Don't misunderstand me. But the greatest life-giving words we can share with people are life-giving words that are congruent with words of life that have been spoken over us by our God and by our Jesus in His Word. One of the greatest things you can share with people is when you share things that go along with what has already been spoken over them by their Heavenly Father. In that, listen, you're not bringing something new to them. You are simply confirming what God has already said. And that's huge. It's massive. But here's the thing. If we're not willing to speak those words, if we're not willing to allow those words to come and to change us and to make a difference in our life, we're hanging on to death words. You see, here's the thing that we tend to do. We put, most all of us do this, is we tend to take the death words and we say, no, that's who I am. That's my identity. That's what I'm about. Instead of saying, no, no, the person that spoke those words over me didn't create me. Those, the person that spoke those words over me did not die and raise again for me. That person is simply a noise that is trying to distract me from the truth. Jesus came to set it all right. Jesus came in a lot of ways to speak over the words of death that have been spoken over you. You, have a, you, have a, you just have, a, have to make an, a decision this morning that's quite simple. Which words are you going to give the most weight to? Which words are you going to allow to change and guide your life? Are they going to be life-giving words given first and foremost by the God who loves you? And then also have been encouraged and, and confirmed by those around you? Or are you going to allow death words to define who you are? Let me break this down for you really simply. So you really understand who you're following and who you're not. And I'm not saying this is easy. I just want you to completely understand. When you give more weight to the Word of God and the words of life spoken over you, you are really following the person who is speaking those things. You are saying, in, an, in an essence, I choose to listen to them. I choose to follow their words above all else. So in a lot of ways, in those moments, you are following God. You're following Him. Where do death words really originate? Well, think about them. They're deceitful. They bring division. They're destructive. There's, there's, a, there's an enemy that I know God told us loves to come and kill, steal, and destroy. When we allow death words to hold the most sway in our life, we're following the Father 
of lies that brought death into this world in the first place. You go, Aaron, that's, 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 is that real? Yeah, it kind of is. Now, does that mean that you've lost your, no, 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 no. I'm just saying in that moment, you're choosing to instead of following God and what he says, you're following the enemy and what he says. Why? Because words are powerful. Words matter. But you know what? No matter where you are in this journey, God has a plan for you. God loves you. God wants to speak words of affirmation and love and kindness and grace and mercy over you. You go, but Aaron, you don't know what's said. You're right, I don't know what's said. But here's the deal. I do know what God's word says about you. And God's word says you are his beloved. Do you know what that word really means? It means cherished. It means not, I mean, I mean it's almost like how, how, do you, how do you take loved and make it even deeper? That's, that's the writer of, of, of the Song of Songs. It's like, he's like, no, 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 this is my beloved. That's you. You're his son and daughter. That's you. You are his precious ones. That's you. You've been given gifts and grace and mercy. That's you. So yeah, I don't know what people have spoken over you in your life, but I do know what God has spoken over you. And I know that in this moment, it's hard because those things are coming and they're coming up and you're going, I remember those hurtful words. But you need to understand who you are and the life that Jesus came to give you and to accept it. I want to finish with this verse because it's such a beautiful verse. But look at it with me. It's in Zephaniah 3. Some of you have heard this verse before, but listen to what it says to help us really understand when God sees you and speaks over you what He sees and what He feels. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst. Now let's stop. We're going to break this down. Okay? What is this scripture telling us? The Lord your God is here. Okay? The Lord your God is close. In your midst is this idea of not just present, but almost this idea of presence inside of you, like a deepness that God wants to bring into your life. He doesn't run from you. He doesn't, you don't repulse him. He wants to be in your midst. He wants to be close to you. Listen, a mighty one who will save you. A mighty one. Listen, not one that'll sit there and go, eh, well, no, if they're worth it. No, no, no. One that says, listen, you're worth saving. Man, I'm going to come and I'm going to reach out. Come, grab my hand. I'll save you. I'll make a difference in your life. You're worth it. You're valuable. Listen, you don't save stuff in your house that's worthless. If you do, that's a problem. What do you save? You save the stuff that's valuable, don't you? He will rejoice over you with gladness. You realize that that word rejoice here is literally, and we're going to get a little bit more into it, it's literally loud 
expressions of joy to the point, and we're going to see it in just a minute, where it's literally, it's the picture that the writer is giving us is literally God is screaming at the top of his lungs in joy, and he's so excited, he's literally spinning around. I don't know if you have a dog. I don't know if this is the right term. Forgive me if it's not. But your dog gets really excited. When our dogs do what we call it, having a zoomy. I don't know if that's the right term. But basically, our little dog just starts going. Because it's so excited. Can't control itself. This is the picture that we're getting here. That the father of everything, who spoke the world into existence, who wants to be close to you and save you, is now rejoicing over you, and he cannot contain his excitement and his joy over you. He's literally spinning. He will quiet you by his love. What does that mean? You ever have moments where you're just like, ah, it's too much, it's too much. God's like, listen, I'm so excited, but I care so much about you that if, even if I need to just slow down for a minute and just take you close. You know what I mean? There's, there's moments where we, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then there's moments where, where God just wants to grab us and hold us and just whisper, I got you, I got you, I got you. He will exult over you. Doesn't just, I love it. Not just with singing but with loud singing. Please hear me. You've heard me say this before. If your idea of God the Father is this strange old man with a stick sitting on a throne, you have an unbiblical understanding of who God is. The God that he wants us to see because this scripture was given to Zephaniah by God is one, hear me, of a God that cannot contain his joy and his song over you because he loves you that much. Those are the words that our God speaks over us. Those are the words that he wants you and I to understand. And can we be honest with ourselves? Can we be honest? I'll be honest with me. And so quickly I forget because somebody said something negative about me. A human didn't create me, doesn't sing over me. In fact, has a heart that just wants to bring destruction, division, deceitfulness. This is what God sees when he thinks of you. Not, well, the, I'm sure God is singing and dancing doing all those things over the really, really good people. No, 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 no. Listen, we're told who he's singing and dancing over in the first part of the verse. The people who he has saved. To be saved, you got to be in peril. How are we in peril? We're in peril because of our sin. So this isn't the perfect people. This is all The question really becomes, whose powerful words will you listen to the most? Whose words of life or death or cursing or blessing will you allow to penetrate your heart? Because here's the deal. When you allow those things to penetrate your heart, 
you're going to find it amazingly much more easy to be a person that brings forth life words into others. Why? Because when God comes and God does that saving work in us, He gives us a new heart. Not a perfect heart. We're still being changed from glory to glory. God is still restoring. God is still working. We're still needing His help in that process. But at the same time, God's done something massive in us. And we'll find it much easier to be a person that shares life with people in our words versus death when we've allowed the light of the world, the word that came to bring life to change us. Let's all bow our heads. Let's all focus here for just a moment as we close. I'm going to close pretty quickly because this is one of those messages, quite honestly, where it's, it's pretty simple. You know, we, we don't need to go overcomplicate it. It's real simple. Number one, are your words life or are they death? When you look at your life, and I'm not saying, you know, are you perfect? You always speak life because I don't believe there's ever been anyone besides Jesus that's always spoke life. I mean, you think about it, Peter didn't speak life to the point where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? I mean, we all have a trouble with that. James tells us no one can tame the tongue. But here's the deal. We need to be getting better in this area. We need to be people that speak life a lot more than we speak death. And so listen, if you've been speaking death over life, listen, I'm not going to ask you to try to figure out why. I'm not going to ask you to say, has your life been busy or stressed or whatever. I'm going to simply say, listen, if that's the case, it's because there's some areas in your life that have got some death in them that Jesus wants to come and take care of for you if you'll let him. You see, that's what the result of speaking death is. It's, 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 there's something deep inside maybe that God wants to clear out. And so the first thing we're going to pray about is if that's you, that we would allow God to do that. We would allow him to come and to clean us out. The second thing is some of us, we have put more stock in what others have said about us instead of what Jesus has said about us. The greatest healing that God wants to do in you is to basically override his word with those words. But you know what I found? We have to make that decision. We have to be the one that says, no, I, I know what was said, but I know what has also been said by my father. And when what has been said by my father is, is, is in, in conflict with what has been said by someone else, I focus on what's been said by my father and I do my very best to move away and put in the trash those things that have been spoken over me by someone else. Is it easy? No. I'm not saying it is. I'm not trying to belittle your pain or your, the suffering that you've been through, but I will say this, there is healing available. And a lot of times, the first step is to make a decision that says, no, I choose the life-giving word of God over anything else. That's what God wants to do in your heart, in your life. He wants to say, listen, I know what was spoken, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. Here's what I say. And even in that, we need God's help. So listen, whether it's you got some stuff that need to be cleaned out, whether it's we need to kind of stop believing the lie and start believing the truth, God is here. 
He wants to help you if you'll reach out. And He will help you. And He will begin that process of healing and restoration so that not only can you be healed, not only can you have your heart more and more filled with life, but so that you can then also be someone who speaks life words over others. So it's not just for you. God wants to use you to do mighty things. So Father, we come to you right now. And God, for those that are dealing with this, this, this problem where there's probably some death, kind of some decay deep in their heart, Father, and it's affecting their words, it's coming out in their words, Father, I pray that they would right now just allow you to just kind of shine a spotlight on some of those areas. Father, that they would say, you know what, God, there's some, some, some death here, there's some curses here that isn't good. And Father, that they would first and foremost ask for your forgiveness. Because when we do that, we know that you eradicate it. You remove it from us. But Father, not only that, now we don't just pray for forgiveness, but now there's a hole there. There's a gap there. Father, I pray that in that, this moment, you would fill it with life-giving things. You would fill it with the, your, your peace and your joy, the fruit of your spirit, patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. All those things would rush you into that void that has been removed now that some of that death has been removed. And that, Father, through that, those things would come out of our mouth. God, for others who have had things spoken over them that is in direct conflict to what you have said. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just begin to speak to that right now. That you would just bring a healing word to that right now. That, Father, that you would help them to see, listen, that is not how I see you. And I created you. I knew you in your mother's womb. I have a plan and a purpose for you that's so much greater. doesn't matter who spoke those death words over you. God's word and God's, what God says is always greater. So help us to cling to your great words for us and help us to slowly push away those words of death. We love you. We thank you. We're so, so blessed that you've called us to be your own. We're so thankful that you sing and you dance and you twirl and you shout over those that you have saved, mightily saved. Help us. Help us to control the tongue, not by little tricks, but by a changed heart that only you can change. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Well, listen. Hope that you have a wonderful week. I want to encourage you as well before we go. Um, speak life words over each other. Okay? I mean, here's the deal. Um, you have a power in your tongue that some of you need to start using for the Lord again. Okay? Some of you have to, you, you've been, this is a weird way to put it, you haven't worked out your tongue in a good way in a while. Okay? You've been using it, but maybe not the building up kind of stuff. I want to encourage you, as God is working in your heart, 
to be vocal with people and share those life-giving things. Because listen, you never know what you could be confirming in that moment, okay? Never know. So out there in the foyer, remember, we got our sign-up sheet for community groups. Um, so please sign up if you haven't had a chance to do that. Listen, I hope you have a great, wonderful week. For those that are headed to Sturgis, we love you. Be safe. We're excited to hear about the testimonies that God's going to use you guys in. We're excited about you being there. We'll be praying for you. We'll miss you next week, but we'll be praying for you, and we know God's going to use you. Listen, have a wonderful week. Let me pray over us before we go. God, we love you, and we do thank you. Go with us as we go. We love you. You're so good, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope you see you soon. We'll see you all later.